when they started realizing that, you know, they wanted to know more about this God that loved them and they would start looking for a church to go to. And we actually had women who were banned from coming into church because the pastor didn't want them in the congregation out of fear that either their his congregation would catch something from them or, you know, that they were a curse. And, would and this curses. is the church. This is the church. Yeah. So this was tragic and heartbreaking. And so we thought, you know, the church needs to be taught also because who better to understand God's heart for the for people with disabilities and God's heart just for human beings and for the oppressed, which is really the category that people with disabilities fall into in the developing world primarily. It started with 12 women in Seattle that prayed about what God might be asking them to do for women with disabilities in Sierra Leone. Women of Hope International was launched first as Women with Purpose. Today we have the founder and director. I mean, she's the chief bottle washer, too, at times. (laughs) Kim Carbo. Kim, welcome back to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Byron. Thanks for having me. We have been friends now. You moved to Memphis. What year? Well, we started in Memphis, but it it was a couple years in, I think, before we connected. But it's been a number of years now. Yeah, we've been sharing about the work, and it's grown. So much is happening. It has. And you gave me a birthday card because you're celebrating 10 years coming up on May 31st. Yep. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. There's some other new things, too, that are happening with the work. You know, Jesus started with 12. Think about the parallel, the connection there. No, I didn't. Yeah, that is interesting. And and really literally changed the world with 12. Yeah. You're doing that today, addressing the needs of women with disabilities. Here in the States, we might see somebody with a disability and not think a whole lot about it. There's ramps and there's accommodations made. Society as a whole has – they don't get treated less as a citizen – there are people who might look at somebody with disability in a biased way mm-hmm. or a not a favorable way, but that's not the norm. Right. But there's places where you live and have lived in Sierra Leone, women with disabilities are like less than third-class citizens. Yeah. In fact, they're not even considered to be human beings. And it's not just women. It would be anybody, children, women, men. And as as the ministry's grown, so we started with just um, the, the purpose was to really reach women in Sierra Leone. Initially, it was women with amputations. It very quickly became evident that amputations was going to be too small of a focus group for um, for a whole ministry. And so in that initial founding meeting, we ended up expanding um, to women with any kind of disability. And then over the years, um, as our ministry's grown, what now we're working a lot with local churches all over the world. So it's not just Sierra Leone anymore, uh, and it's not just women uh, so that's why we're kind of heading into some big changes yes. in the ministry. I think that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But originally, when you made the decision to focus on your efforts there in Sierra Leone, it's because you had some contact. You actually grew up in Sierra Leone. Your mm-hmm. parents were missionaries there. Mm-hmm. So you had to experience the culture. Just for a couple of seconds, take us back to what it was like growing up in a different country like Sierra Leone, or you might not have thought about it. That was home for you. Right. Yeah, yeah. it was normal for me. But yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I was nine years old when we moved to Sierra Leone. When my family moved there, my uh, parents were Bible translators. So we lived in a small village, um, about 400 people, and uh, no electricity all while I was growing up. I went to boarding school for most of my schooling. Uh, when I got to high school, I had to go to a different country for boarding school because there wasn't a high school in our in our country. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was I sometimes forget how unusual that that was, because in my world, everybody lived like that. Exactly. um, But yeah, living in Sierra Leone was really what got me connected to Women of Hope in the first place, um, because I was asked to serve as a consultant to this group of women in Seattle 
who wanted to do something for women with amputations in Sierra Leone. And so they asked me to come and really as a consultant. And that was all I thought I was going to be doing uh, at that time. And here we are 10 years later, and I am uh, have been the executive director for almost that entire time. Helping to provide women, in this case, we're going to say helping to provide all people with disabilities for a more dignified income generation. Because in many places where you minister and work with people with disabilities, trying to make an income. I mean, women oftentimes yeah. become prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very difficult to be mm-hmm. able to find a, a steady income or income to be able to yeah. provide for your family or your own personal needs. Right. And really, uh, Sierra Leone is where we started, but as you know, around the global South, so most of the developing world, um, the, the views on disability are so much different than what we would and what we would really consider or what we wrestle with in our own minds. So as you said, there's still... We still have barriers um, in our own culture, uh, both individual barriers with people's attitudes, but also um, societal barriers for people with disabilities to get jobs um, or have feel like they're fully integrated and have full access to the services and uh, community that they need. But in the developing world, it's it's considerably more difficult, um, both for well, really all because of just wrong belief systems, you know, believing that people with disabilities are either just not a full human being, uh, believing that God has cursed them because of something that either they or their family members have done or um, believing that um, that they're demons, actually. So there's also um, there's sort of a spectrum of beliefs, but they're all negative. So all of those wrong thinkings are what really creates the situation for people with disabilities in the developing world, primarily where they're hidden away, ostracized, marginalized, not allowed to participate fully in community, even with their very family. Um, so you met Hawa um, a couple of years ago yes. when she was here in the States. She was right here uh, in the studio. Yeah. yeah. One of the pieces of her testimony is that when she was growing up blind, um, her parents had four children and anytime her Someone would ask her mother or father, how many kids do you have? They always said three and a half. And she was the half because they didn't consider her to be a full human being. Oh and that's and that's certainly not um, unusual for people with disabilities in those places. Kim, looking back over the past 10 years and the work you've done, you, you used the key word a moment ago, education, educating people. And I guess one of the greatest educators is a personal testimony, a story of, that somebody can see. So if you you take a woman, for example, who's lived in a community, who's been ostracized, who's been looked down upon, who has a disability, but you come in with Women of Hope and you spend time, you nurture her. She learns who her image is in our wonderful God Mm -hmm. who created Mm -hmm. all humans. And so her countenance starts to change. She starts learning a new work skill. So she's able to provide for the needs of her family. Do you have stories where people all of a sudden now they're looking at this person in a different light now in the community? Oh, yeah. So many. And and that's really where we've seen uh, it start. So when we first started in Sierra Leone, you know, we wanted to directly minister to the women and alongside them, but also knew that the community itself needed to be uh, transformed as well. Because um, if, you know, if they kind of came along in their own personal journey, but then society still was blocking them from yes. Um, any kind of social interaction that wouldn't be helpful either. So we initially started um, a lot of radio programming, you know, doing some media uh, things to try to build awareness and and help kind of change people's thinking process. Um, But what we found was as women went through the training programs that we have, and we have our our sort of signature training in Sierra Leone is called transformation training. And it's a 14 week uh, training program that women can opt into 
Um, they, it's there are some fairly rigorous uh, requirements that they have to meet. They have to agree to be at all of the sessions. So it's one day a week for 14 weeks. Um, these are women that live hand to mouth one day at a time. So if they're not working that day or doing something to get income that day, they're probably not going to eat. So this was, you know, them really having to rely on family members, neighbors to support them or just figure out how to make do to take a whole day and come to training um, each week. So it was a big commitment. And um, if they miss more than one session in that 14 week time period, they're kicked out of the class. Um, They also have to be on time, uh, which, you know, in the developing world, time isn't really a a big uh, value that's held. Um, We, our first, the reason why we made that requirement was our very first group of women that ever went through training. And that was at that time, it was a longer training um, most of them were middle-aged. Most of them had pretty significant physical disabilities that impaired their mobility. Every one of those women was on time. Not f- They were early, in fact, for class every single time they were supposed to be there. And um, all 10 of them, rain, shine, it didn't matter. So you weren't being tough. I mean, this was. Well, a- that was their, they set the standard. <laughs> they so said- we're like, well, shoot, if they can do it, then why don't we just set that as the standard for yeah. the, the rest of people and yeah. just you know, raise the bar? They raised the bar. <laughs> so we just set that as a standard and people have, have met it. They also, uh, there's a book that they get. It's um, mostly picture based because almost all of them are illiterate and have never gone to school because that's one of the doors of access that's closed to them. Um, often is not being able to get an education. So for most of them, they've they've never actually held a book in their hand. They've never actually even held onto a book or held a pen or a pencil to write. And so you know, there's um, there's that educational and, and literacy barrier. But they have to uh, buy their book. They don't buy it for what it costs us, obviously. Sure. But um, but they do pay for it. Uh, they end up paying about the equivalent of. Um, I think it's about a dollar and a half for the book. And for most of them, that's still a, a stiff uh, amount. So they make payments over the course of the 14 so weeks. That could be a day's or a couple of days wage, couldn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. 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 So they, they literally make, you know, like a few cents every week and they pay off their book by the end of the training program. Again, you're instilling back in them. Talk about instilling dignity in people that helps them yes. in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for, you know, for most of them, they're so excited. They're, you know, they, one of the first sessions that they do, they learn how to make a, write a signature because most of them have never, never written anything before. And so, you know, they come in, they're like, how do I, I can't do that. Well, then, you know, we walk them through in that class, writing their own signature. Now it might not be their full name, but a mark that would be, you know, maybe it's their initials or an identifying signature. And there's been so many stories of women who've um, said, you know, I, I went to the school to get my child's marks or grades and um they gave me a, a thumb pad print uh to do my thumbprint and i said no i i need a pen you know and and the people were like wait what um so you know it was just so it brought them such dignity and honor to be able to write their name like an educated person right. uh, would and and they it helps them to hold their head higher so what we realized was as women went through this training they themselves changed about how they felt about themselves and that then began to facilitate a change among the people that they lived with. Mm. And so as people started looking at them and looking at now their clothes are clean, they're bathing regularly, their kids are are clean, their kids are healthier sometimes than the community around them because they've learned some basic health principles. They're changing their cooking methods to incorporate healthier principles. Just a, a whole host of things. And the neighbors start to look at them and say, hmm, wait a minute. She used to be the dirty one. Why is she cleaner than me? You know, and so uh, that that's been really the piece that wow. has started to change the community's um, view of of the people with disabilities. And they have to take notice. They have to start sure. to rethink because what they thought this person's not valuable. They're dirty. They're um, you know we shouldn't even associate with them. And then as women get more income, they start helping their neighbors. 
And they're like, whoa, wait, what, what happened there? You know, so it, it's impossible for them not to have to go, maybe what I thought was wrong. So that starts to change. The other thing is the women themselves are more confident. So they start interacting with people who are able-bodied, um, which they didn't before. So they themselves yes. became reticent because there was so much rejection. And you know how rejection does that to us. It makes us withdraw. They don't totally. And so as they yeah. gain confidence, yeah. you know, they start yeah. reaching out. So when you get to know somebody who's different than you, regardless of what it is, it doesn't matter if it's you're talking about race or disability level or ethnicity or culture. If once you start to know a person that's different than you, um, you can't keep those barriers up anymore. You know, they they have to fall down. I love this. I love this. This is so great. And another example, I was thinking back. It's been a couple of years and I know it's more than once Ebola outbreak in uh, West Africa and there in Sierra Leone, back how many years ago has it been now? It was now? in 2014 and 20, 15. Yeah, and, and I know that the ladies in your program were quite instrumental in being able to take these booklets that you created yeah. and go out into the different villages and distribute those yeah. and then help with the hygiene and things yeah. that, you know, we're trying to address this issue of Ebola. Yeah, they were. They were going because they had community health training and then um, we provide them with additional training, particularly about Ebola. They were able to help their neighbors be less fearful and, and more empowered to be able to fight the disease as opposed to be afraid of it. Any stories from that that you can think of? Particularly, oh, you know, I think I don't have any specific stories. I just know that we did have feedback during that time of, you know, my neighbor who is in this Women of Hope program came and brought me this pamphlet. And when I walked through that, I was I was less fearful. Yeah. You know, so I don't have a specific name of a person, but I remember I know that there were those things that were happening um, during that time. And people were so scared of each other at yes. that time, you know, so breaking down fear was one of the really key elements. You know, I was thinking about Women of Hope International as an organization, but I think even a better definition would be an organism because in the body of Christ, we're not a, just an organization, you know, right. like the Lions Club or right. something, you know. We are an organism. We are the body of Jesus Christ. As we look in the book of Acts and we see the early founding of the church, the book of Acts doesn't close like other books in the New Testament by Paul or Timothy saying, you know, I greet thee, mm-hmm. you know, close mm-hmm. your sake, farewell. It's right. like an open-ended book. And so when the ministry of Women of Hope 10 years ago started. It's that organism. It's growing. Yeah. Things are changing. Yeah. And you've got some big announcements to make real soon. Yeah. June 1st is actually our official sort of birthday. That's the anniversary of uh, Women of Hope will be 10 years. So we're celebrating Friday night on the 31st with a birthday party. People that come to the birthday party on the 31st will actually be able to get the sort of pre-reveal. So the, the actual uh, announcement of new name, New branding, new everything, new logo, new website, all of that is uh, being revealed on the 1st. Okay. But those that come to the birthday party on the 31st will kind of get a a preview. You know what that means, don't you? That means you're going to have to come back with all the new details. Well, that's, yeah, we'll have to do that. Yeah, totally. We'll talk about some of the way that the staffing and organization has changed over the last 10 years. Yeah. Like I said, we started originally, it was women with amputations and uh, quickly we realized, oh, it needed to be women with disabilities in Sierra Leone. And we started with 250 women. That's what we had registered when we got started uh, in 2009. And, um, and that was just in the town of McKinney where we work in Sierra Leone. Currently in Sierra Leone and Women of Hope Sierra Leone is organized uh, separately as a separate entity from Women of Hope International. And currently Women of Hope Sierra Leone has about 800 women registered in four different locations right you know, in the surrounding areas around McKinney. So we have four different outposts where there, where there are trainings going on and um, just support and community um, awareness. Bible studies are happening. So there are 800 women that are registered. Now, obviously, all of them are not 
active at the same level as each other. Sure. You know, some are very active, some are less active. But that's not all of the people. There's more than that. And so Women of Hope Sierra Leone um, is still going to be Women of Hope Sierra Leone, and they're going to be uh, working just with women, as was the intention from the very beginning. But they're expanding, too. You know, there's lots of expansion happening just within Sierra Leone. In 2016, actually prior to that, maybe in uh, 2013, we realized, you know, one of the biggest barriers to access that people have with disabilities and that our women were having as they would come to know that God loved them, that he had made them with a purpose, that they were made in his image and that they weren't a mistake and they weren't a punishment. They weren't a curse. When they started realizing that, you know, they wanted to know more about this God that loved them and they would start looking for a church to go to. And we actually had women who were banned from coming into church because the pastor didn't want them in the congregation out of fear that either their his congregation would catch something from them or, you know, that they were a curse and would and this curses. is the church. This is the church. Yeah. So this was tragic and heartbreaking. And so we thought, you know, the church needs to be taught also because who better to understand God's heart for the for people with disabilities and God's heart just for human beings and for the oppressed, which is really the category that people with disabilities fall into in the developing world primarily. So we we developed a, a church, like a one-day church, kind of an awareness, um, but it was kind of rethinking disability from a biblical standpoint. So we developed this church uh, workshop and started doing it first in Sierra Leone because our original intention was let's just get churches in the local area to understand better about disability so that as women come to know the Lord, they can be discipled. So that was our original intent. And we have had, ever since the beginning, lots and lots of requests. We get them several a month, actually, of, from all over the world. Come and start Women of Hope in our country, and we need this too. And um, so we really just were wrestling with, we don't have the capacity to recreate what's happening in Sierra Leone in you know, all these countries around the world. Uh, it's, it's very labor-intensive, very time-intensive, sure. and we just didn't have the capacity. And we didn't really feel like that was what the Lord was asking us to do. So we just kept wrestling with, what do we do? Because the need is great, and the need is global. It's not just Sierra Leone. And then took this church workshop and kind of blew that out a little bit and started offering it uh, and developed a whole curriculum called a Theology of Disability. And so we have this Theology of Disability curriculum, which is uh, specifically geared at churches, local churches and Christian ministries. So it might be small nonprofits, NGOs, or big ones, doesn't matter, um, who work in the developing world, but who are not integrating people with disabilities in their program or in their congregation or whatever their context is. The Theology of Disability curriculum kind of came out of some trainings we did in India in 2016. That was a good place for us to kind of wrestle out with the people there, the local church leaders there. Uh, what was going to be the best content that would be relevant globally, you know, so it wouldn't be specific to Sierra Leone, but, and to test, are these principles relevant in a, a completely different culture than West Africa? And they were, yeah, well, because they're gods, you know, they're yes, not, totally. they're not ours. Yeah. it's really yeah. just, it's a deep dive Bible study is what it is. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of practical application on, you know, moving our own attitudes up a, a scale um, from just a ignorance of about disability to being co-laborers with people with disabilities, you know, and there's sort of five stages that fall um, along a continuum. And so helping people evaluate where am I on this continuum and how do I keep moving forward? So our theology of disability curriculum has really been the thing that has taken off. I mean, Women of Hope Sierra Leone is still taking off and it's still doing what it does. Sure. But the theology of disability curriculum is really where over the last few years, a lot of our, our efforts stateside, because we have a full team on, in Sierra Leone who runs the ministry there. We go there a couple times a year uh, to check in, to you know bring additional training resources, um, whatever might be needed in the ministry there, and to be continue to walk alongside them. But, um, but the, on, from the stateside viewpoint, 
the theology of disability curriculum through what we call our equip branch. So we have two branches of ministry is uh, women of hope Sierra Leone is one and equip is the other. Yeah. Um, and those will all fall under this umbrella, which we're not going to say. No, we're going to say today. right now. Right. So basically you can train facilitators. Right. So we able- train trainers. It's yeah. a four day training. It's moving. It was a three day. It's moving to a four day training. Um, there, we actually have two staff in Burundi right now um, who are getting ready to get on a plane this afternoon and head back. Uh, just finished a training in Burundi with 21 church leaders. Um, we've we've done trainings in in India, in Nepal. I just did uh, came back from Nepal a few weeks right before Easter. We've done in Ghana, in Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, Liberia, all over the globe. This is incredible. And yeah, so it's just wow. you know things have really taken off. Our staff here is growing and expanding uh, because we need to uh, in order to accommodate, you know, all the various trains. We still can't accommodate all that we need to. We don't have the resources to do that. We do have a a very firm partnership agreement whenever people request training from us and we agree to go do it. We'll pay for our plane tickets to get there. But everything on the ground has to be the local ministry. And so, you know, they have to lodge the trainers that go. They have to feed the trainers and they have to provide all the training costs as well as in-country transportation. They have to have an investment, yeah. Yeah, so totally. there has to be buy-in. And, you know, these are small indigenous local yes. ministries. So yeah. um, it's a real commitment on their part to host a training, and we cap out at 25 because it's well, a very participatory training. To me, it sounds like it speaks well of those who are interested in engaging this opportunity. Yeah. As you said, that some of these churches you know, are closed doors toward right. people with disabilities. Right. So this is really a step forward you yeah, know, in that but, effort. You know, God touches the heart of people all over, and, and those people are catalysts. You know, And so there are always, in every community, there are people who yes. have – the compassionate heart of God and have realized his heart for those who are oppressed and marginalized and want to do something. And so somehow they, uh, we don't, it's not like we do advertising. Somehow they find us and <laughs> write to us and ask, Hey, can we get, can we get this training? We need that here. Wow. And you know, then usually it's a, a process of six to 12 months that of talking through things and, you know, figuring out when we can schedule time, but we've done yeah so many trainings in the last couple of years. This is so, wow, this is so God, you know, yeah. it's so wonderful to see his hand in the work that he called you to. Did you ever, I know that at the beginning, if you, if God had told you exactly the whole plan, you know, from back in 2009, yeah. what do you want you'd say, call somebody uh, else probably, it, probably I'm not, yeah. the, not the one. Yeah, probably. But talk just for a second. We don't have much time. We're at the very end of our show now, but I want you to maybe take just a very short time. Talk about what it has been meant for you personally mm. in your personal walk with Jesus Christ and seeing how he's called you into this, how he has provided people, provided resources, opened up doors of ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's such, well, we only have how many minutes? Well, um, <laughs> you got 30 seconds. No. <laughs> I would not be the only one that would say this. This has been the testimony of staff that have worked in our program since the beginning, that our own transformation and healing has taken place in the context of ministering among people who are hurting and uh, have disabilities. And one of the things I think that I have come to know, not just to realize in in my head, but know, is that we all have a disability. Of course, sin is our biggest disability, right? And and that's been healed for us by the blood of Christ. But the blood of Christ does so much more than that. And it it touches all the areas of disability. You know, we have fears that cripple us. We have reservations or or things that are are just unsettled within ourselves that that really create barriers for us to be able to live to our fullest potential. We have um, misunderstandings about God that that don't allow us to live in the abundant life that Christ has provided for us. And um, so all of those things have been 
we've we've been able, I have been able, and my staff would testify for the same thing, to wrestle through those things over the last few years, even just for our own selves. And um, and it, it's been working um, among the poor and the vulnerable that has opened up our eyes to our own vulnerabilities and our own hurts and um, and to really be able to understand and comprehend the healing that is available in a holistic manner um, through Christ and through the gospel. Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. People, a lot of theologians believe it was some kind of disability that the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take that you know, from you. I'm going to, my strength is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so that's, that's my testimony because I, I didn't have the skills to do what we're doing today. I still don't have the skills to do what I'm doing today, but God continues to say, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Not, not I'm going to make you strong, but you be weak and I'll be strong. Right. And um, so that's, that's been something that's been a really good journey for me as well. That is a incredible word, Kim. Thank you so much for being so transparent and real. We need to embrace those around us. You say that don't have as much. And that's really Jesus Mm -hmm. expressing love, compassion for those that have disabilities. You know, Uh, I I mentioned before, I grew up as a a young boy, uh, had some neighbors that had children and foster children with disabilities. So I I, Mm -hmm. I spent time with them. And uh, there is such valuable lessons that you learn about life. God has provided these people, our brothers, our sisters, Mm -hmm. for us to learn from. And, and to yeah. grow together in support and help. So thank you so much what you continue to do. And I'm excited to hear, can't say right now, yeah. but the news of the changes, yeah. the new name, the new branding, everything that's going to happen on June 1st. And so you can go to the website. If you go to Women of Hope International, yep. it will take you yes. to well, the new site. Or, the site's not, not live yet. So, it's not live uh, yet. It's so. still womenofhopeinternational.org. Yeah. Um, and, and that site will, will stay until we get the new one up and running. So we're still working out tweaks on that, but. Okay. Do um, you have any prayer requests that we could share with our oh, friends before we say goodbye? I mean, yeah, I know you got tons, we, but anything yeah, on, on that, maybe a couple? Um, you know, I think for people that are local in the area, we're, we're always looking for people to just come alongside the ministry and um, volunteer. So that would be one thing, that, that the Lord would provide um, the resources. So whether that's human resources, we, st- we have some staffing positions that are open. Um, the the financial resources because the need is so much greater than what we're able to address right now and we would be happy to do more um, but right now we're limited in what we can do and there are there are ministries and churches out there that are asking come and help us understand better what God's heart for disability is and and help us to in- include people more effectively and so we want to meet that need but right now we're limited okay so people to come alongside and for God to supply all that is needed what's that web address women of hope international.org Kim Carbo, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for joining us. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.